It is 7 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. At 9 p.m. tomorrow night, President Trump is going to address the nation from the Oval Office significantly. This is his first Oval Office address. The president has been very, very careful over the last uh, two years not to make an address from the Oval Office. Uh, they wanted to save it for what he thinks is a big deal, and this is it in his mind. He says on Twitter he will address the nation at 9 p.m. tomorrow night. We here at WSB, of course, will carry it live and take your reaction afterwards. Uh, but he wants to address the nation uh, o- overall and... The media is now upset over whether or not they will have to carry his speech. I I kid you not. MSNBC, of all things, says they're not sure. Other networks are saying possibly not. Y'all, this is the president of the United States. Now, the media is right that when Barack Obama did his uh, wall situation or his DACA situation, rather, after he lost the Senate, They didn't carry it live. That is a fair point. Uh, Networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, they did not carry Barack Obama's address to the nation live after he lost the Senate and decided he was going to implement DACA by executive order. That is true. However, this is President Trump's first Oval Office address, and we're in the middle of a government shutdown. Uh, there is a significant difference there in that regard. And that you have cable networks suggesting they may not carry it is outrageous. These people carry the president's tweets with wall-to-wall coverage. I mean, it's conceivable that the media would cover the president's tweets tomorrow night at 9 o'clock more than if he addressed the nation from the Oval Office based on the media standard. That the media is complaining about this at all gives the president all of the ammunition he needs to show just how biased the media actually is in this. Uh, Just think about how they cover him if he sneezes, how they cover him if he goes up the steps of Air Force One, how they cover him if he tweets. I mean, he, he, they they carry the landing of Air Force One wall to wall. They cover his campaign rallies, and yet they don't want to cover an address from the Oval Office. This does give the president ammunition. One TV news network executive told uh, Oliver Darcy at CNN that this is a damned if they do, damned if they don't situation. If they don't cover it, of course, the president does have ammunition. If they do cover it, they think the president just makes stuff up. Um, The media really doesn't know what to do with this president, which is why I think he probably wins re-election in 2020, by the way. They really don't know how to handle the president. They don't know how to react to the president. They don't know how to navigate what the president does. It's very, very telling their outrage over whether or not to cover alive his first address from the Oval Office. Now, what is he going to say? Well, the president wants $7 billion for his wall. He really wants $5 billion, but he's raising the number. And this is somewhat silly negotiations from the White House. They want $5 billion, so the president has decided to ask now for $7 billion, upping the amount of money he wants, hoping the Democrats will say, okay, okay, we cry uncle, we'll give you $5 billion. The Democrats want zero. The real negotiating position is $5 billion, and by raising the number, the president's hoping he will get it. He's also now saying we don't need a physical wall along the border. Border Patrol agents have actually asked 
the president's team if they would consider revising the um, revising the plan and use steel slats instead of an actual wall. There are a couple of reasons Border Patrol agents want this. One is they're hoping that if they use steel slats that are big enough that they can be hammered down into the ground because they are aware of tunneling operations along the border. And they would like if they can get, and I don't think this is physically possible, but nonetheless, uh, they're hoping that they could get steel slats that could in some way be hammered into the ground far enough down to disrupt the tunneling operations that the drug dealers use. But more importantly, they want steel slats because they want to be able to see through to the other side and see who's coming. They also want gaps in the fencing so that uh, farmers who have livestock can get to the Rio Grande for water for their crops, which is an ongoing situation down there now. But the Border Patrol has come out pretty strongly saying they do want some level of security. I, I, I got to tell you, and I, I want to spend a few minutes on this issue here. In just a minute, uh, I'm I'm really shocked by the number of people who are trying to turn the the fencing the wall into some sort of moral issue. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. If you were on vacation last week, I should tell you uh, this is the new time. Four to six, Mark Aram six to eight, Hannity eight to ten. Uh, we got a new schedule here at WSB. We still have the same name though. That's a good thing. Now we got to go back to this wall situation. I am perturbed at people, particularly on the theological left in the United States, who have decided that the wall is a moral issue. Uh, Nancy Pelosi actually has come out and said that building the wall is about morality, that it would be immoral to build a wall. You know what is considered a sin in theologically orthodox Christianity? Breaking the law. Yeah, breaking the law. You speed, you're actually sinning in Orthodox theological Christianity. Um, To sin is to dishonor the emperor, to dishonor the laws that do not conflict with God's morality. a, A wall does not conflict. I mean, Jerusalem itself in the Old Testament had a great big wall around it. Uh, There's no more morality about the wall. You can say that it's not good public policy. You can say it won't do any good. You can say that there are ways around it. You can say a lot of things about the wall to oppose it. But making the wall a moral or immoral issue, I think, is Trump derangement syndrome. Democrats back in the 1990s supported building a wall. Bill Clinton urged Congress to take action to further secure the border in the 1990s. It was in the 1990s that uh, Congress began putting into place portions of the border wall. There, There are border wall parts in place. You can see pictures of them online. You can see them on evening newscasts where there are walls in place. Donald Trump wasn't president when they were built, and no one was screaming about their morality or immorality. In fact, when George W. Bush was president of the United States, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi authorized the construction of fencing and walls along the southern border. Congress just didn't appropriate money at the time. But Schumer and Pelosi both voted for the authorization to build walls along the southern border when George W. Bush was president of the United States. No one was screaming about the morality or immorality of a border wall then. They're only screaming about it now because Donald Trump is president and people have gone insane. That's what's happening here. Uh, This is not a moral issue. You can disagree with the wall. And I got to tell you, I I will go on record with you. I support the wall. I have long supported the wall. I support more expansive immigration policies. I suspect uh, I I suspect or, or I support 
giving uh, the DACA kids citizenship. I support allowing the president, their, their presidents, their families to stay in this country, their parents to stay in this country without citizenship. I am to the left of a number of you when it comes to this issue. I think that if you've got kids who are carried over here as a one or two-year-old, this is the only country they've ever known, but they were carried over as one or two-year-old, let them stay. If they get a college degree or they join the military, let them become citizens. If their parents have been here this whole time contributing to the country, they've been paying taxes, and you know a lot of them do pay taxes. They get a uh, special PIN number from the IRS so they can pay income taxes. And they've been paying those taxes. Let them don't give them citizenship. That's their punishment. You can never be a citizen, but you can stay. Let the kids become citizens if they get a college degree or join the military. I'm okay with that. But I think to even have that conversation honestly, you got to build the wall. Because if you don't, if you don't build the wall and this comes, you're going to have another flood. You're going to have another caravan, and they're going to come through the desert. And you know, there's the the issue of morality on this. What is more moral? Not building a wall where we already have walls in parts of the country and incentivizing people carrying their children through the desert to get around the walls are building the walls so they know they have to go through the legal process. What's more moral there? Not building the wall so they have to go through the desert and risk the lives of their children or building the wall so they know they can't come unless they go through the proper checkpoints and procedures. Seems to me that building the wall is the more moral option of the two so that people aren't risking their children's lives. I, I still think we got to spend money south of the border to help address the issues causing the illegal immigration, but secure the border. It's not an issue of morality or immorality. It's an issue of national security. It's an issue of national sovereignty. We should be able to secure the border. Tomorrow night, the president's going to address the nation at 9 p.m. and make that point. This is an issue of securing the border. This is an issue of national sovereignty. And this is an issue he's not going to back down on. When is the government going to reopen? Never, according to the president, unless the Democrats compromise on this issue. And quite frankly, I think the president has a good argument to make the Democrats compromise on this issue. Right now, the Democrats are saying they're not going to compromise at all there will be no border wall. If that's the case, the president's willing to come down from $5 billion to $2.5 billion in money to at least get it started. The Democrats are holding the line here. They're the ones who are being ideologues on the issue. The president's showing some flexibility here, and he, I think he's right to do it. I'm increasingly uncomfortable with the level of information that various companies can get from you uh, by just your web traffic, uh, whether it's social media companies, whether it's your internet service provider or what have you. You know, if, for example, my mother-in-law tells this story, she was flying back from California, she ordered a cheese plate on the flight from Los Angeles back to Atlanta. And now on Facebook, she sees these ads all the time from the cheese manufacturer that made the cheese plate that she bought on the airplane. It really creeped her out. The best way to get around being tracked by social media sites, marketing companies, your mobile and internet provider is to get a secure VPN. And you can take your privacy back by using ExpressVPN. It's easy to use apps. They integrate seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes a click. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Makes it safe to go online without everybody snooping. So to protect your online privacy today, your online activity online, find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, for three months free with a one-year package. Go to expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. 
It is 24 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's go to the phones. and from Roswell, you are up first. Welcome. Hi, Eric. I just wanted to ensure that I heard you correctly when you said that you were in favor of giving the doctorate free college. No, 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 no. I am, I am not in favor of giving them free college. Although I think it's a federalist issue. If, if California wants to do it, I'm not opposed to letting California do it. But I don't think we should uh, here in Georgia. Uh, no, what I said is that if they came over, if their parents brought them over here, uh, and they get a college degree or they join the military and serve honorably, then we can consider giving them citizenship. But uh, I don't have a problem letting them stay if we secure the border. Okay, great. Yep, I'm that glad was it. I cleared that up. Yes, Thank absolutely. You. And it, just just to add on there, I don't think the parents who brought the kids should ever get citizenship. I think that's your penalty. People talk about a financial penalty for the people who carried their kids across the border and came here. If they've been working here for 30 years, they've been paying their taxes, they haven't broken the law since they've been here after crossing the border, let them stay. Just don't give them citizenship. And, you know, here's the thing, and this does not get talked about in the media, and it is one of my pet peeves on this issue. Most of the people who are here, they don't want to be citizens. I mean, if they get it, okay. But they're actually here working, sending money home. I don't have a problem letting them stay. One of the untold stories, I think I'm probably one of the only people in talk radio who mentions this, is up until the late 1960s, there was a program in place in this country to allow citizens from Central and South American countries to migrate into the United States and work and go home seasonally. And they didn't have to reapply every year. They could keep a permit and they could come and go as they pleased. They paid taxes and then they went home. I mean, and that, that's what I think we should do. Now, about 80% of those people who were coming and working, they were, they were farm, working on farms. They were picking crops and whatnot. Uh, Georgia took advantage of this program in the 1950s and 60s hugely, where migrants from Central and South America would come here legally without getting citizenship, without going through the standard immigration lines, would pick crops, uh, peaches in Georgia in particular, harvest the peanuts, and then return home. In many cases, they were allowed to stay seasonally to work without going home and send money home, but they pay taxes on it. Now, why don't we have that program? And by the way, there was no provision for them to get citizenship. If they wanted to get citizenship under that program, they had to go. They had to repatriate to their home country and apply there. And none of them ever did. I shouldn't say none, but almost all of them did not. And do you know why we don't have that program anymore? Because unions convinced Lyndon Johnson to scuttle the program because unions were afraid that the migrants who were coming here working on farms would eventually cut into other American jobs. And so they scuttled the program, and we've been dealing with the illegal immigration problem ever since in the ways we're currently dealing with. Um, You know, I I do, I got to have a question, and that is, are we going to tear down or do Democrats favor tearing down the border wall that Bill Clinton built? If it's an issue of morality and immorality, should we tear down the portion of the wall that Bill Clinton built? Because it was Clinton in the 1990s who built the California border fencing. It was the Clinton administration that funded it and built it. 
if it wasn't immoral, I mean, you know, this is Bill Clinton's administration, I realize, when we're talking about morality and immorality, but the Democrats of the 90s were perfectly happy to build it. They supported it, they voted for it, they funded it, they built it. If it's now immoral, should that be torn down? No one's actually wanting to call for that. No one's actually wanting to get rid of that. And I think that's something that needs to be reconsidered if they're going to do it. Now, we got to move on. Did you hear about Christian Bale? He thanked Satan. Yeah, I'm not kidding. He thanked Satan for the Cheney movie that apparently is an awful movie. I don't know anyone save one person who liked the movie. And the one person who liked it admits he only liked it because he hates Dick Cheney. It's apparently a very terrible movie. So Christian Bale thanked Satan at the Golden Globes for his performance of Dick Cheney and apparently then was uh, taken into police custody last night for a short time uh, after assaulting his wife and his mother. Very fitting there. Uh, Liz Cheney today on Twitter wondered if he was thanking Satan or blaming Satan for that. You know, Dick Cheney never assaulted his mother or his wife. Uh, just the Hollywood hatred of Dick Cheney. It, it, you know, I actually, the preview looked pretty good. I was thinking of going to see the movie just because I do like Christian Bale as an actor and assumed it would be a funny movie, even if it was a completely fictional, fraudulent portrayal of Dick Cheney. But it is apparently hot garbage, that movie. Absolutely hot garbage. Um, even worse than Aquaman. <laughs> when we come back, uh, Alexandra Cortez Ocasio, angered with the Dims. It's 37 after the hour. Eric Erickson here, News 95.5, AM 750, WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, the Christian Bale story, I saw everybody talking about it. The, the assault to his mom and his, his wife was from 2008. Um, I, I said it happened after the, the Golden Globes. Sorry, I, I just assumed he had done it again, seeing everybody woke up this morning, everybody talking about it. But nope, nope, that wasn't the case. Um, happened in 2008, I guess. Uh, but Liz Cheney, after he thanked Satan for his betrayal of Dick Cheney, wondering if Satan caused him to assault his wife and his mother. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is in the news a lot these days. The, the it girl of the left of the Democratic Party, the fawning profiles of her in the last few weeks in the media. She is now getting blown up by the press. Whoopi Goldberg came after her. CNN came after her. The Washington Post had the audacity to fact check her. She's actually screaming bigotry today. She She's claiming that it is a, a anti-Hispanic, anti-Latino, anti-woman point to fact check her. She says people are more concerned about uh, checking facts than they are what is morally right. Uh, sounds very Trumpian, uh, according to a number of members of the press, that she's behaving very much like Donald Trump. The, here's, here's the problem. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is sucking the oxygen out of the room, and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and the DNC are really upset about it. And so they are cracking the whip. They do not like that she's the it girl. They don't like that everyone is buzzing about her. They think she's riding a little too high. 
and they need to take her down a notch. And so their media allies are coming after her. I have no doubt. Listen, when CNN, The Washington Post, and Whoopi Goldberg all on the same day come out against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you can be certain that somewhere phone calls were made, memos were put out, and people within the Democratic apparatus decided she needed to be humbled. And it doesn't appear that it's working. She is pushing back against all sides, claiming it is sexist, racist, bigoted for anyone to fact check her. Uh, I mean, what she said on on 60 Minutes was crazy, but this is the Democratic love affair with the Overton window. If you don't know what the Overton window is, we're going to be hearing a lot about it. Much like it, we heard about the Alinsky Doctrine when Obama was president, we're going to be hearing about the old Overton window now that Donald Trump is president. Essentially, the Overton window is where you say a bunch of radical things over and over and over and over, and over time they seem more and more normal. So you keep saying we need a 70% tax rate, and over time it starts to sound like it's a normal idea as opposed to a whacked out idea. That's what the Democrats are doing here with their Overton window scheme. Uh, They're saying all these radical things on the left, hoping that uh, they will get more and more people to think, you know what, these aren't radical ideas. These are perfectly acceptable ideas. It's all part of the plan. And, you know, I think the pushback from the right should be to move the Overton window in our direction and start saying, you know what, we should scrap taxes altogether. We should have a 10% flat tax. Everybody should pay taxes, rich or poor. And they should also pay the same percentage. If 10% is good enough for God, it's good enough for the government. Same thing with guns. I, you know, I, people think I joke when I say this, and I'm really not joking. I'm actually serious when I say this, that the solution for this country for gun violence is more guns, not less guns. And I know it sounds completely counterintuitive and it drives the left insane. The left wants to round up all the guns. They keep citing Australia, uh, which didn't have a Second Amendment and so could round up all their guns. I think we need more guns in this country. I think we may need to make it as easy as possible for law-abiding citizens to own guns and learn how to use them safely. In a nation that has 300 million people and 350 million firearms, we should be thinking differently about guns than what people in Australia, Great Britain, or Canada think about guns. But nobody wants to hear that. It is my own personal Overton window. We should have more guns, not less guns, on the streets of America. Now, to the phones now, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, Andrew in Canton, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Have a good afternoon. Yeah, how are you? I'm doing good. I just got a quick question. So has any of the mainstream media asked Schumer or Pelosi directly What's changed in the last 10, 12 years where they do no no longer think we need a wall? Uh, They would never ask that question um, because they would have to account for why they supported it in the Bush years. And they don't want to have to do that. Uh, I mean, the reason here is Trump. I mean, that's really it. Uh, Democrats have constituency interests that oppose the wall. And so the Democrats will. I mean, that's. I mean, that, that's all I got for you, Andrew. I, honestly, the the Democrats do not support a wall because their major La Raza and the like don't support the wall. They supported it in the '90s because there wasn't. See, I guess I should I should pull. Let's let's go up to fifty thousand feet and look at the lay of the land right now. Democrats and Republicans both believe the Hispanic constituency in this country is still up for grabs. Democrats increasingly believe that Republicans are losing it because of Donald Trump, but they know that they don't necessarily have it. You see, look at when you look at the the voter participation rates, um, 
Hispanic voters in this country tend not to vote. They vote some, but whichever side can actually mobilize them as a, an ethnic block can probably dominate politics in this country for a very long time. And Democrats are seeing worrying signs. For example, here in Georgia, Brian Kemp got 40% of the Hispanic vote that voted. In Florida, Rick Scott got 50% of the Hispanic vote. In Texas, Ted Cruz got 50%. Greg Abbott got over 60% of the Hispanic vote. Uh, Hispanic voters tend to be the most socially conservative voters in the country. And so Democrats need immigration as an issue with which to scare Hispanic voters and convince them that the Republicans do not have their interests at heart. There is a problem in the underlying data for Democrats. The problem is that most Hispanic voters who came here legally are okay with restrictions on illegal immigration. They took the time to do it legally. They think everyone else should as well. So the Democrats, to expand the Hispanic coalition of the Democratic Party, has hit on a multi-pronged strategy, one of which is they've got to support illegal immigrants becoming citizens because those are the Hispanic voters that would support illegal immigrants. They've got to do that. Yes, it is part of expanding the Democratic coalition. They see younger Hispanic voters are still socially conservative, but they are more willing to be tolerant of illegal immigration. So the Democrats are doing what they can to get the younger generations of Hispanic voters to vote for them. They've got to demonize Republicans on this issue. And now Democratic polling suggested them the wall is unpopular. It's unpopular with Hispanic voters. And importantly, Hispanic illegal immigrants don't like the wall. And again, the Democrats want to grant these people citizenship. So they've got to oppose the wall. Who cares what they did in the 90s? They know the media will never, ever, ever hold them accountable on that issue so they can proceed. Muhammad from Lawrenceville, you're going to be next right here on WSB. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Um, so I am actually from Pakistan. I've been here legally for 12 years, citizen. Uh, and the funny thing is the Pakistan and Afghanistan, they have a uh, Pakistan is actually building a fence um, on the on the border and 1600 mile fence. And it's all being taken care of by Pakistan army. So I think President Trump would be genius if he just declares the security, uh, national security, and use all the military uh, resources to create this, uh, to build this wall, because otherwise these Democrats are just going to, are just not going to let it happen. Yeah. Uh, look, and I think that's something the president, thank you very much for the phone call. The president is thinking of doing that tomorrow night. Uh, he, the Vice President Pence this afternoon said they're examining whether or not they can declare a state of emergency and reprogram dollars. By the way, at the top of the hour, when we come back, I want to talk about what it would take for the president to reprogram dollars, because I, I think we can all agree, Republicans and Democrats alike, if the president spends money that Congress has not allocated, it is an impeachable offense. The power of the purse belongs with Congress. If Congress hasn't ordered or allowed money to be spent, the president cannot spend it. If he spends it, this gets us back to where we were at the revolution with the king, and it's an impeachable offense. But, 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 Congress routinely gives the president discretion to rearrange how money is spent. And if the president can find some discretion given by Congress to rearrange or what's called reprogram money, then he's perfectly within his rights to do what he wants to do, I think. Uh, the question is, where can they find it? There is some question of whether or not the Department of Homeland Security has reprogramming money available at its discretion right now. We'll explore that when we come back. We'll keep taking your phone calls as well. Mm -hmm. 
It is 4.54 p.m. It's Eric Erickson here, wrapping up the first hour of Atlanta's Evening News. We'll be back for the second hour. There is breaking news right now in the city of Atlanta. E-scooters, electric scooters, have been banned from sidewalks in Atlanta. The city council has just passed new regulations. Scooters will not be allowed on sidewalks, only streets, bike lanes, and shared-use paths. According to WSB-TV, that's it. Craig Lucy tweeting this out. Um, I, I can't imagine that long-term the e-scooter market is going to survive because so many pedestrians hate them now unless they're under the age of 30. And the taxation issue in Raleigh, North Carolina, they've just imposed a $2 tax on every e-scooter unlock. So every time you unlock a scooter in North Carolina, it did cost a dollar from the scooter companies. Now it's going to cost you $3 because of a $2 tax from the city government, which has decided to to get in on the taxation issue. It's just, it's becoming a revenue scheme for local municipalities. In addition to people hating them, I cannot imagine long-term the e-scooter phenomenon is going to last. Uh, let's get back to phone calls here. Uh, Jack from Cartersville, you're up next. Welcome. Yes, thank you for taking my call, Eric. I greatly appreciate it. Sure. Uh, when it comes to the parents of these children that were brought over the border, if they're paying taxes, how do we get around the taxation without representation? Because the parents won't be able to vote unless they're unless they're citizens. Well, you know, the taxation with representation actually isn't in the Constitution. It's in the constitutional structure. Right. I was just wondering because that I mean, you know that'll be brought up, and I was wondering. Well, you know, so if you work inside the United States, uh, whether you're a citizen or not, you have to pay taxes on the money earned in the country. Um, But I mean, it's fairly settled law that you have to be a citizen to vote. Now, there are uh, states like California now that actually want to allow illegal immigrants to vote in statewide and local elections. And that is constitutionally dubious. In fact, I believe the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has even thrown that out, uh, that, that that's not possible. So taxation with representation only gets you so far. You, you you come into this country to work. You understand you can't vote here because you're not a citizen, uh, but you do have to pay taxes, and that's not going to change for a while. Uh, now, when we come back, how can the president reprogram money for the wall? Before we get there, though, first, I want to give a quick shout-out to Martha Zoller, uh, Martha's guest hosted for me in the past. She's worked for David Purdue. She's going to be a constituency coordinator for Brian Kemp. Uh, Brian Kemp's team announcing today that Martha uh, will be one of a couple of people who will be dedicated to making sure that the people who voted for Brian Kemp are actually paid attention to and that he has people listening to voters across the state of Georgia, not just people inside Atlanta. I think it's very interesting that in his tour of the state, he is not really spending a lot of time in metro Atlanta. Um, I think that's good for social conservative voters around the state. Also, a bit of news on my end. I guess I'm allowed to announce that I will be the master of ceremonies on Monday. Uh, for the inauguration. Uh, Very honored, very flattered that they asked me to do that. I guess I have to wear a tie now on Monday uh, to be MC for the inauguration. Uh, I believe actually it'll be wrapped up, so I should be here uh, at four o'clock on Monday for my show. I'll be able to give you all the gossip from the day uh, at the McCamish Pavilion at Georgia Tech. When we come back, reprogramming tax dollars and David Perdue 
is taking on Mitt Romney in the United States Senate over Romney's op-ed in the Washington Post. I'll give you the update on that and what Purdue said. It is 9 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News, the second hour, not the first hour. Uh, I've had several people today text me or direct message me on Twitter or email me and say, I totally forgot you're on at 4 now. Y'all think it's bad for you. I literally fell over a chair running into the office because I looked at my watch and thought, oh, I can't tell you what I said. I gotta be on radio. (laughs) I haven't gotten used to it either. I'm sorry. I'm so gonna have a bruise tomorrow. Um, In any event, welcome. Uh, It is 10 after the hour and the phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Bear with me. We'll get to your phone calls, but first we gotta get to some of the headlines. David Perdue uh, taking on Mitt Romney Uh, about the president of the United States, uh, Purdue essentially advising Romney to do what he does and talk to the president privately behind the scenes, uh, build a relationship with him. There are some people who are saying, oh, the irony, David Perdue is taking to the Washington Post to tell Romney to do something in private. Maybe he should have done it to Romney in private. Um, But I think it was worthwhile of Perdue to do this and establish uh, that there are more established senators than Mitt Romney. This is, I think, an an underappreciated aspect of the Romney story, writing his critical op-ed of uh, the president. He didn't say anything. Romney didn't say anything in his op-ed that people disagree with. He said the president has bad character. Even Trump supporters admit the president either has no character or bad character. They just don't care. But what I think is important is, is David Perdue subtly, very tackily, putting out in his op-ed that, you know, there are people ahead of you in the pecking order, Mitt. Uh, now, I don't know that that was what Purdue intended in writing his op-ed, but for the people who are saying, oh, he's told Mitt he should have done it in private, well, maybe he should have told Mitt in private. <sighs> Y'all, the media likes to build certain people up as being in charge. The media likes to build certain people up as being more influential than they are. I mean, take look at all the, the fawning media over Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and now the DNC is getting people like Whoopi Goldberg, of all people, to push back and tell her to sit down, shut up, and learn. That's what Goldberg said on The View, essentially. Uh, is CNN, The Washington Post, fact-checking her now. She's upset about it. It's, it's people wanting her to know she's not the boss. She's a nobody. She's one of 435 members of Congress uh, in on the House side, one of uh, whatever, 535 with the Senate. That she needs to calm down and, and essentially, they don't want to say it this way, but learn her place. She's a freshman congressman. She has no power, no clout, no chairmanship, nothing. She doesn't write the rules. And the same now with Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney is a freshman junior senator. Mike Lee, who's younger than him, is the senior senator from Utah now. He needs to figure out his place in the Senate before he starts acting like he's a president or a leader. And and I think Purdue is right to to call him out on that, even if I agree with what Mitt Romney wrote. Uh, The outrage over what Romney wrote, I think, is silly. I mean, you would think that Mitt Romney, the outrage elevated Romney to a position greater than one of 100 senators. Uh, But Purdue, I think his his op-ed response to Romney is 
a very strong indicator that Purdue is not going to let Romney come in as a former presidential candidate and act like he's been there longer than everybody else. So good for Georgia Senator doing turf protection, if nothing else. Now, in other news out there, can the president reprogram money? It's questionable whether or not the president can actually declare the southern border situation an emergency. We should get that out of the way here. In fact, we need to get two things out of the way. First of all, if the president spends money that has not been allocated by Congress, it's an impeachable offense. I don't care who the president is or what party it is. If a president spends money not allocated by Congress, Congress has the purse strings, that would be the president encroaching on the power of the first branch of government and they could impeach him. And I'd support the impeachment. That's not what the president, that's what the president said he was going to do, by the way. The president said on Friday that, you know, he's going to declare an emergency and he was just going to go spend some money. That's, that's what the president said. That's not what he meant, though. You know, with this president, you do have to understand he works differently from others. The things he says are not necessarily the things he actually means. He doesn't articulate them in the way someone who is a career politician or actually knows what they're doing would. Uh, but his team is sworn to protect, uphold, and defend the Constitution, and they will steer him right. And what his team suggested to him is that there is money that can possibly be reprogrammed. They're looking at that. Jay Johnson, who is Barack Obama's Secretary of Homeland Security, said there was nothing in Homeland Security budget that could be reprogrammed in such a way. But of course he would say that. He was Obama's Homeland Security uh, czar. He doesn't, he doesn't support building the wall on the southern border. But what about Kristen Nielsen? She may say that some money can be programmed. Here's what you need to understand about reprogramming and why it's perfectly legal for the president to do it. Congress over the years has gotten really lazy about budgeting. And Congress gives money to each department and oftentimes includes language in the authority giving the department that money and says uh, the secretary has discretion or as the secretary allows, he can he or she can rearrange money. They've done this for years. I mean, going back to the Reagan administration in particular, when Congress stopped doing budgets and started doing continuing resolutions, because they weren't doing department-by-department department budgets, they would just do a continuing resolution and say, uh, we'll give you X number of dollars, and Secretary of Homeland Security, Secretary of Defense, whatever, you, you reallocate the money however you want to reallocate it. Well, if there's money to be reallocated, then go for it. The president has the authority. The president can direct the secretary. Remember, uh, the secretary of Homeland Security is a subsidiary entity within the executive branch. The president is the, the unitary executive from whom all power flows in the executive branch. Yeah, I'm, I totally believe in the, the unitary executive theory. You have the first branch of government is Congress. The second branch is the president, not the president and his cabinet, not the president and the, the various executive departments and bureaucracies. It is the president of the United States is the second branch of government. And so if Congress tells a secretary they have discretion and the president orders that secretary to spend it, the secretary can resign. They don't have to reallocate the money. But if the money can be reprogrammed, the president has constitutional authority to reprogram that money. You may not like it, but he can do it. Barack Obama did it. George W. Bush did it. Bill Clinton did it. George H.W. Bush did it. Ronald Reagan did it. Every president has reprogrammed money as Congress has allowed them to do. If Congress doesn't like it, Congress can take back the authority to reprogram the money, but it's perfectly legal for a president to reprogram money. As long as, and this is the big key here, as long as the money has been allocated by Congress. If Congress has not allocated the money, the president cannot spend the money. But if Congress has given the Department of Defense or the Department of Homeland Security money, 
for national security or border security, and the president says, look, this is a national security issue, well, then the money can be reprogrammed from the Department of Defense or the Department of Homeland Security to spend that money. And again, you may not like it. Congress may not like it. The Democrats may not like it. It's not impeachable. It's legal. If Congress doesn't like it, they should stop abdicating their responsibility to the executive branch to be able to spend that money. That's what this all boils down to, folks. Uh, Congress should not be able to, should not give the president so much discretion that he can reprogram money like this, but they have. And the president's going to take advantage of it, and it's legal for him to do it. You know, when I do a sponsorship ad for the podcast, they send me a script that I can read from. I don't have to even read that script for Quip. Quip is my electric toothbrush, and it has been for over two years, and I love it. I ordered it myself uh, well before they were a sponsor of this or even my radio show because I kept seeing the ads on Instagram, and I was looking for a good electric toothbrush. And so many electric toothbrushes, if you buy them, the, the toothbrush heads are so big, you can't get them to the back of your mouth to brush, and they come with a big recharger you got to carry with you. The Quip does not have either of those problems. It is designed by designers with dentists, and it shows. It fits in your mouth comfortably. And it works on a AAA battery, so you don't have to carry a big charger with you. And there's a subscription brush head. So when your brush head wears out for just five bucks every three months, you get a new brush head and it comes in an envelope that has a new battery in it. So you just see, keep the cycle going. It is fantastic. It is accepted by the American Dental Association. In fact, it's one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the ADA. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals. My own dentist has commented to me how good my teeth have looked over the last couple of years. I've been going through uh, one of those Invisalign braces processes as well and quit makes it easy and great to get a good good clean teeth so now quip starts at 25 dollars. if you go to getquip.com slash eric e-r-i-c-k right now you get your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash eric it is free your first refill pack so go to getquip.com slash eric that's getquip.com slash eric It is 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Those are the numbers to the phone calls we go. David and Lilburn, welcome. Greetings. My query is this. Why couldn't Trump use the financial aid that we send Mexico every year to build the wall? Uh, because we barely send them any. Ah, dead gum. I mean, we, we really, we don't send Mexico, I think the last time I checked it was like $29 million we sent to Mexico, and most of that was to help with uh, military issues in Mexico, fighting drug cartels. So uh, it's it's allocated through the State Department as well, and so it can't be reallocated or reprogrammed. Uh, State Department funds have to be spent abroad in the foreign aid budget, um, but it's barely any money. I mean, y'all, we don't spend in Central America. I realize people talk about the foreign aid budget. The foreign aid budget is actually less than half of a percent of the federal budget. And in Central America, Mexico, all the way to Panama, take all the countries in Central America. Uh, in fact, you know what? Because I'm a nerd, let's do this. Just so you have a sense of what we're dealing with here. The president wants $5 billion for the border wall. Let's take all the countries in Central America. That would be Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, Belize, uh, San Salvador, El Salvador, rather, rather uh, Nicaragua, 
Costa Rica and Panama. Um, don't you like my pronunciation of Nicaragua? Um, all those countries, we spend less than a billion dollars. In fact, um, when I did it on Erica, it was less than, gosh, what was it? Less than $700 million in Central America. To get up to $800 million, you got to start pulling in South American countries. Um, so if you were to re if you could theoretically reprogram hundred percent of the money being spent in Central America, you would get less than a billion dollars, uh, which is problematic. So yeah, um, but you can't reprogram foreign aid dollars, uh, that has been tried before, I believe, and has been thoroughly rebuffed by courts can't be done. Um, let's see. I don't have time to do anybody else uh, justice. Y'all stick with me on the phone. When we come back, I will take more of your phone calls. We also need to get into a, uh, a very specific topic, anti-Semitism. The media in this country has been so obsessed with the rise of the alt-right and Donald Trump and whether or not he's a racist and they all presume he is. The media has completely ignored the rising anti-Semitism on the left. You now have members of Congress who are raging anti-Semites, hate Israel, and are blocking legislation to support Israel and support our alliance with Israel, all while complaining about the president disrupting alliances elsewhere. It is totally because the media worldview is so biased against the right, they never bother to even focus on the rising anti-Semitism. Now you got a member of Congress accusing people of dual loyalty for supporting Israel. Ponder that while we go to commercial break. It is 40 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, back to the phones we go. Earl from Dahlonega waiting patiently. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I don't understand why the uh, Democratic Party hasn't learned over the last 35 years or so. In 1978, they opened. Uh, Jimmy Carter uh, invited the Cubans to come to America. And Castro informed the uh, prisoners in their jails that they could either go to America or they could be shot. They came to America. He opened his mental institutions. As a result of that, we had riots in uh, Atlanta, had three riots. Uh, Oakdale had a riot. It cost American taxpayers millions of dollars, and we had those individuals out on the street. I don't understand why we haven't learned anything over this period of time. Oh, because people's memories are short. Earl, um, you're specifically talking about the Muriel boat lift. For those of you who don't remember, and I was, I mean, I was a toddler when it happened, um, but certainly remember studying in history. The, the Castro regime in Cuba announced that any Cuban who wanted to leave Cuba could do so. Uh, and the American government, going back to the Kennedy administration, had long-standing precedent that if a Cuban arrived in the United States, they were automatically granted refugee status. And so there was a big boat lift out of uh, the uh, Muriel Harbor, the Muriel boat lift. And it turns out that what Castro was actually doing was he was clearing out his jails and insane asylums 
And those people were getting to the United States, and the immigration officials were overwhelmed in the United States. I don't know that that's the best example, Earl, and that that was such a specific case. Um, but, you know, you go back to the people are floating it on, on Twitter today that the Republican platform when Lincoln was president was uh, open, unrestricted immigration and free trade with China back in the 1800s. Um, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We're dealing with the same things over and over. I don't know that that's uh, specifically an apt comparison either. A lot of people are making more of it than there is, but... Immigration is a long, drawn-out subject. Uh, if we bother to secure our border, maybe we can start having different conversations. Steve and Marietta, welcome. Hey, Eric. Hey, um, appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Um, the My first one is, I think you covered when you were talking about the constitutional authority for repurposing money. And so it's my understanding that that is Congress would make it as part of the uh, budgeting process to basically give discretionary um, authority to the president for some of the money uh, that is budgeted for a certain um, bill or department. But, and earlier you were also talking about how that co- Congress had become lazy or lax in giving out their own authority. Isn't that in and of itself unconstitutional because it doesn't follow the process? And it kind of reminded me back in the, uh, the uh, financial crisis when Timothy Geithner gets basically a carte blanche, a, a blank check to buy as many securities right. for um, Fannie Mae. Uh, that's it, unconstitutional. It, it's not unconstitutional if Congress sets the parameters for how and where the money can be spent. So, for example, Congress can give to the State Department uh, $100 million. And then Congress yeah. can tell the State Department bureaucracy and the Secretary of State you can spend that money however you want. Uh, that's not unconstitutional, and that's what Congress frequently does. Uh, where it becomes unconstitutional is where the the Congress allocates $100 million to the State Department, and the president says, I'm going to make the Defense Department spend the money. That's unconstitutional because Congress, in the parameters of its continuing resolution, has said the money's got to be spent over here. Um, you can spend it however you want as long as you spend it over here. That's that's not Congress abdicating its responsibility. The Constitution does not say that Congress has to approve each line item. The Congress just has to set the budget, and the budget is State Department gets $100 million. Spend it however you want to spend it, State Department, but only you can spend it. That's perfectly constitutional uh, under the framework we have in the United States. Um, they give wide latitude. I frankly think they give too much latitude. Uh, and should not be giving as much latitude. Uh, Sherry in Johns Creek, you're next. Welcome. Hey there. Hi. My hi. My simplistic understanding of a partial government shutdown is that certain government employees will not get paid until Congress does something. Is that correct? Yes. Is Congress getting paid while they're not doing anything? I mean, yes, Congress they, is getting they, paid. Okay, uh, so if 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 they were part of those government employees who weren't getting paid until they did something, wouldn't that be an incentive for them to ask? Yes, but there's a catch. This is a partial government shutdown and not a complete government shutdown. So every part of the government has been funded except uh, one small part of it. And one of the parts of the government that's already been funded is Congress. And constitutionally, the pay for Congress and the pay for judges cannot be cut once appropriated. 
So because it's already been funded under the Constitution and under the budget, it can't be yanked back. Now, some of the members of Congress are giving up their money. And the president has said that, for example, the vice president and several other cabinet officials are due for a pay increase as of January 1st. And they're going to withhold that money until the government is reopened. But the congressional budget has already been allocated for the year. So if you get to a point where we we run out of the wind, we're getting to a continuing resolution for congressional pay, then it becomes an issue. But right now, it's already been taken care of. See, I'm still getting used to the new schedule. I'm all discombobulated. So now I have to step out. It is seven after the hour. Eric Erickson is seven after the hour. I'm looking at my calendar on my, on my computer, January 7th. No, no, no. That's how my brain is working. Sorry, man. You would think it was almost seven o'clock. No, it's almost six. Mark Aram's coming up next. It is 54 after the hour. Let's go back to the phones to Steve and Lilburn. You are next. Welcome. Uh, hi, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, it's, it's abundantly clear that the leaders of the of both parties don't really care what the people voted for. So the question is, at what point do we get a third party and who do you think might be the leader of that party or, or a front runner? You know, I, I don't know who would be. I, I will tell you that a, a potential presidential candidate uh, came to see me about a month and a half ago now. I've had several now come down here to talk to me. Uh, about running a presidential campaign as a third party or challenging the president in the primary. I've all told him my intention right now is to support the president in his reelection. I'd be interested uh, in seeing how they mount a bid, um, but that they need to remember the lesson of John C. Fremont. John C. Fremont uh, was the first Republican candidate for president. The first Republican was not Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln would not have won in 1860 without Fremont running four years prior uh, in 1856. Lincoln, in fact, campaigned for Fremont They, as the Whigs began to disintegrate. You know, there's some data out there over the weekend that I actually think is a fatal warning sign for the Democrats, not the Republicans. And that is uh, black voters in the United States are the most likely to believe that scriptural authority is greater than constitutional authority in the United States. Uh, In other words, that the Bible is a greater authority on how to live your life than the Constitution. Uh, The second to them are Hispanic voters and third to them are white evangelicals. There seems in my mind to be uh, an opening for a third party that finds common ground on on racial issues, not saddled by baggage in the Republican Party in terms of race and not saddled by the Democratic Party's increasing hostility towards people of faith in, in order to find ground for a third party. Whether or not that actually happens, I don't know. I would be very curious to see this shape up, but it seems like there's finally an opening. I don't think any third party candidate for president this uh, in 2020 would be successful. Uh, I don't think the money is there. I don't think the groundwork is there. I don't think the ballot access is there. Uh, But I think both parties are increasingly weak. And both parties are increasingly cult of personality. The Republican Party exists because of Donald Trump at this point. Uh, When he's gone, the Republican Party will exist because of someone else. But it's not really a party of ideas anymore, and neither is the Democratic Party. It is in search of someone other than Barack Obama, and Joe Biden would probably be best, and they're going to reject him, it looks like, in 2020. 